Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Erica Donald. She is the founder and CEO of Optima Education Foundation. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo up there in Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Sean Flanagan is the director of the Center for Metrics at the Legatum Institute. He, there's a new prosperity index out. In fact, uh, it's the second year, and uh, we'll be looking forward to find out about prosperity in America. It is July the 21st, and on this day in 1861, in the first major land battle of the Civil War, a large Union force under General Irvin McDowell was routed by the Confederate Army under General P- Pierre G.T. Beauregard. Three months after the Civil War erupted at Fort Sumter, Union military command still believed that the Confederacy could be crushed quickly and with little loss of life. In July, the overconfidence led to a premature offensive in northern Virginia by General McDowell. Searching out the Confederate forces, McDowell led 34,000 troops, mostly inexperienced and poorly trained, uh, toward the railroad junction of Manassas, located 30 miles from Washington, D.C., Alerted to the Union advance, General Beauregard massed some 20,000 troops and there was soon joined by General Joseph Johnston, who brought on 9,000 more troops by railroad. On the morning of July the 21st, hearing of the proximity of the two opposing forces, hundreds of civilians, men and women and children, packed their lunches and picnic baskets and turned out to watch the first major battle of the Civil War. The fighting commenced with the uh, three Union divisions crossing the Bull Run Stream and the Confederate flank was driven back to Henry House uh, Hill. However, as the strategic location, Beauregard had fashioned a strong defensive line anchored by a brigade of Virginia infantrymen under General Thomas J. Jackson. Firing from an unconcealed from a concealed slope, Jackson's men repulsed a series of federal charges, winning Jackson his famous nickname Stonewall. Meanwhile, Confederate cavalry under J.E.B. Stewart uh, captured the Union artillery, and Beauregard ordered counterattack on the exposed Union right flank. The uh, rebels then came charging down the hill, yelling furiously, and McDowell's line was broken, forcing his troops to, hasty, to a hasty retreat across Bull Run. The retreat soon became uh, an organized flight, and supplies littered the road back to Washington, and Union forces endured losses of 3,000 men, killed, wounded, or missing in action, while the Conf- Confederates suffered 2,000 casualties. The scale of the bloodshed horrified not only the frightened spectators at Bull Run, but also the U.S. government in Washington, which was faced with uncertain uh, military strategy in quelling the quote-unquote southern insurrection. Can you imagine showing up with a picnic basket to watch the fighting only to see the bloodshed that occurred? It was, must have been a frightening experience for those, for those people. That's war. It's, it's no picnic. Well, there's 111, 119 new cases of COVID-19 in Collier County as of yesterday. Collier has now has 7,934 cases, confirmed cases, out of 50,945 tests. Uh, there's been 107 deaths. And on Monday, Collier County positivity rate was up to 16% from the high of Sunday of 15%. Uh, 527 people in Collier County have been hospitalized for COVID-19 as of Monday, that according to the report. So again, uh, we don't know how many of those people have been released, but I would sub- suggest there's probably about 100 to 150 folks in the hospital right now for COVID-19. Don't know if you can trust any of these uh, numbers. Here's uh, more proof of questioning the numbers. A flaw in a manufacturer's coronavirus testing system used by labs across the United States are causing false positives. Department of Health uh, scientists in Connecticut discovered the flaw in a testing system manufactured by Thermo Fisher Scientific, 
According to the scientists, the affected patients were tested between July the 15th to July the 17th. So that's only two days, and out of 144 positive tests, 90 were false positives. 90 out of 144 were false positives. This is just the uh, tip of the iceberg. By the way, this is just one manufacturer over a two-day period. Last week, uh, you may recall, Fox 35 in Orlando found that countless labs were reporting 100% COVID positivity rates. Most Florida labs have not reported any negative test results data to the state. For example, one lab in Orlando, Centricare, reported 83 people were tested for COVID and all tested positive, which is pretty much impossible. Uh, here's an alert. If you're concerned about uh, Cuyah, uh, what's going to happen with the government, Cuyahoga County commissioners are having another emergency meeting today. They've had at least three already uh, about having a mask mandate in Cuyahoga County. Alfie Oaks, who's on the show last week, owner of Seed and Table, wrote on Facebook that he spoke to Penny Taylor, the head of commissioner, for uh, two hours about Uh, requiring the wearing of masks is not only unhealthy, but infringing on our freedom. Alfie said she knows that the wearing masks does no good. That's what he said. She she said that masks do, do no good, but she also knows that masks can do people harm. However, the people in our community who do not know the facts are convinced that everyone should be masked. Those people have not examined the pros and cons of wearing a mask, and they are nagging her and other commissioners uh, nonstop to put in place a mask mandate. She may be forced to give in to them if she does not get a pushback. And so we're just encouraging you, if you feel the way we do, that uh, masks are unhealthy, number one, and number two, do no good. We've seen, of course, in California, people, there was a mask mandate, and uh, the number of cases increased by 165%. So uh, it's doing no good. Anyhow, you can write to penny.taylor at CollierCountyFL.gov, Penny.Taylor at CollierCountyFL.gov. You can probably find that also on the website to write to her. Again, she's the head commissioner, and uh, they're going to be voting again on wearing masks. Uh, you know, if you want to wear a mask, that's fine, but I don't think the, the county should be mandating it, my opinion. Uh, you can decide for yourself. That's how we should do it. Uh, speak by the way, speaking in the Oval Office yesterday, President Trump said he'll resume the coronavirus task force updates uh, probably today. I got this quote from H.L. Mencken. He's the great columnist, uh, essayist, and he wrote this mainly in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. He wrote, the most dangerous man to any government is the man who is able to think things out for himself without regard to the prevailing superstitions and taboos. Almost inevitably, he comes to the conclusion that the government he lives under is dishonest, insane, and intolerable. (laughs) It comes pretty close uh, to my feelings. Well, uh, charges have been filed against Mark Mark and Patricia McCloskey, the St. Louis couple who defended their home from a mob of uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, protesters, gangsters, on June the 5th. Uh, St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner filed the charges of unlawful use of a weapon, flourishing, according to uh, Channel 5 in St. Louis. St. Louis uh, uh, Channel 5 reports that the unlawful use of a weapon charge is a Class D felony and could result in one of uh, to four years in prison, as well as fines up to $5,000, and that Gardner's office will be issuing a summons for the couple to appear in court. Of course, the couple defended their property after the mob destroyed the gate in the private residence in our private lane as they were apparently on their way to Mayor uh, Lita Clouston's uh, house. Footage from the incident was viral on uh, social media. I saw it. I'm sure you saw it as well. So uh, the, the world is upside down. How can they be charged for defending their own property? That makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Apparently, the governor, uh, Mike Pearson, Said that if uh, they're convicted or found guilty, they'll be they'll be uh, pardoned. But irrespective, can you imagine the amount of uh, uh, inconvenience, if nothing else, the time and money that's going to be involved in defending themselves from this false charge? Now, this woman, who is uh, the uh, filing the charges, is one of the those that was uh, helped. They, she received financing for her election from. Uh, 
Soros, George Soros. And uh, this is what's happening. If we don't pay attention to who we're electing locally, we're going to have big trouble, quite frankly. And uh, this happened in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. It could happen here as well. It's a shame. Uh, we shouldn't have people. And she's got a backlog of all kinds of felons and people that are doing bad things. And she's deciding to go after these people, McCloskey's. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And on top of that, conservative author and activist Michelle Malkin, she's been on my show, was brutally assaulted and prevented from speaking as she made her way to the speaker's platform at a pro-police public rally in downtown Denver yesterday. Now, that was on Sunday. It's a patriotic event, the sixth annual Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, billed as a family-friendly event. And, uh, you know, they're closing down free speech in universities, and now they're doing it right there in major cities. Can you believe that? Well, uh, she's, that makes, you know, you just can't make sense of this. Re, right, violence has been confined to other places, but right now it's taking place. And actually attacking somebody on stage makes no sense at all. So much more to talk about, but we're going to move to our first guest, Erica Doddles. This segment of the show is brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, visit naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, Erica Donalds. She is the founder and CEO of Optima Education Foundation. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Golf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and also summer programs for kids. You can find out more by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Sean Flanagan, the director of the Center for Metrics at the Legatum Institute. Right now we have with us Erica Donalds, a former school board member, uh, elected member of the school board in Collier County. She's also the founder and president of a terrific organization. It's the Optima Foundation. Uh, Erica Donalds, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure. Tell us about the Optima Foundation. Well, we started back in 2017 as an effort to expand classical education charter schools across the state of Florida in partnership with Hillsdale College. Um, My passion, as you know, is to bring a high-quality education to as many families as possible to give them maximum school choice options, and we've been able to do that through Treasure Coast Classical Academy, which opened last year. We're very excited. Our second school, Jacksonville Classical Academy, is opening this year, and looking forward to Naples Classical Academy opening next year in Collier County. And we just try to help expand school choice and advocate for school choice of all kinds in the state of Florida and across the nation. Yeah, terrific organization. OptimaEd.org is the website? That's right. OptimaEd.org. And full disclosure, I serve on the board and proud to do it. So, Erica, you know, big news is happening right now in Collier County. The uh, Collier County School Board has come out with, uh, and Superintendent of Schools has come out with a plan, a strategy to open the uh, schools according to the mandate or the edict that was sent out by the uh, Commissioner of uh, Public Schools, uh, Corcoran. And, uh, my goodness, it was just horrifying in my mind. I just appreciate uh, your thoughts about this. Well, not just in your mind, Bob, but I know if your children were school age, even more so, and that's what I've been hearing from parents in Collier County and really across the state, where parents are very concerned about the overreach in our schools when it comes to the requiring of masks. In Collier County, you're talking about requiring of masks and goggles in school. Hmm. Parents are thinking, this is ridiculous. My child is not going to uh, be able to do this all day. First of all, they're going to feel like oppressed in that environment, having to wear this on their face all day and be in trouble if they don't wear this on their face all day. How are they going to focus on learning Mm -hmm. when there's all of these ridiculous measures in place that are really based on fear and not facts? Parents just want their children to go to school in a normal environment. They want to be able to make the decision if their child's going to stay home and do distance learning because they may be vulnerable or have a vulnerable family member. If they don't have a vulnerable family member, if their child is not vulnerable, they want to send their child to school in a normal environment and let the children learn. Uh, I, I agree with every word that you just said. It's it's just really a shame. Now, how do you suppose they came up with this plan? I, it looks like they're trying to appease everybody that has an opinion about this. That's a, exactly right. And they're trying to appease even the most radically fearful uh, groups when it comes to this virus. But we have seen this, Bob, at the county level as well. The, um, the medical doctors, associations and whatnot are coming to the county commission and recommending the most extreme measures when it comes to the virus. I don't blame them. That's what they're going to say as health professionals. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But what we are on the side of also freedom, liberty, the ability for people to make decisions for themselves and their families, we have to make decisions that affect our own health. And there is nothing to suggest that these children, every single one of them, needs to wear this mask and this goggles in school. So, I don't envy their position. I do not. I, I'm very glad not to be in their, their position. Um, however, when you do have someone in that elected position, you do need to stand on the side of people's freedoms, liberties, and you need to stand on the side of facts and not emotions. I uh, couldn't agree more, uh, Erica. Well said. So uh, I imagine the uh, union has a, unions have a pretty heavy stake in this. Well, you know, as usual, the unions purport to speak for all teachers, and they do not. Mm -hmm. The teachers' union in Florida has filed a lawsuit against the Department of Education to stop the start of schools. Uh Now, they purport that teachers are afraid to come back to school. And I can tell you now, I'm running now, two schools that are opening five days a week here in just a few weeks, 
And our teachers are excited to start school. They cannot wait to get back in the classroom. Sure, they want us to take appropriate precautions, which we are, but that they definitely are not saying that it is not a safe environment to go into the school. There are some that may be vulnerable that want to stay home. And you know what? We're having those teachers teach the children who are in vulnerable families who are vulnerable themselves. Mm -hmm. Perfect match. And it aligns. About 25%, in my experience, are, are those that are staying home, that want to do distance learning, and then the rest would like to come to school and teach the children. So the teachers' union, as usual, is just trying to cause problems. They're trying to shirk. They're trying to delay. They're trying to make a problem where there is none. And this is typical of the teachers' union. They don't want to open school. They don't want to have uh, the teachers come back. Uh, asserting their power. So I would imagine a lot of parents are scratching their heads and saying, what are my choices here, my alternatives? What can we do? And I would imagine that brings up the whole topic of charter schools and uh, homeschooling. Bob, I have received so many calls and emails and Facebook messages over the past week since this plan in Collier County was announced uh, from parents looking for different options. They're asking which schools are not requiring masks. Parents are literally going to make a decision about their school for their child, whether they are requiring masks or not requiring masks. They're looking at homeschool options, mm -hmm. regardless of whether they have to work themselves. They're saying, how can I get my child the right level of quality in their education at home if it's online, if it's through books that they get through the mail? They're asking what their options are there. They're looking for groups of parents to get together and share responsibilities for teaching, whether it be by subject or by day. I've, I've seen some parents say, let's each work four days a week, take one day off to, to take turns teaching the kids. They're getting innovative and creative, which is so exciting for a school choice advocate like me to see. I think this is going to change the face of school forever, not just because of what these reopening plans are, but what our uh, a parent's experienced in the spring when it came to online learning. You know, and Eric, I can't, that's just part of me, I have to bring this up, but we spent $1.1 billion here in Cuyahoga County. It's the biggest uh, budget item that we have in terms of taxation for our public schools, an average of over $22,000 a student, and uh, that, which is about double the national average, quite frankly, and yet uh, the results are pretty appalling, and I'm just so grateful for the work you do. Any thoughts on that? You know, Bob, really the money should follow the child. Yeah. Let's say that these union uh, lawsuits are successful and these teachers don't have to go back to school. Why should the school get the money? Shouldn't the parents get the money who are trying to hire tutors and buy online learning or homeschool or take them to a charter or a private school so that they can uh, learn? Why should the schools continue to get the same money for these students if the parents want to choose something else? We need universal choice then these schools can be as outlandish as they want. They can be as unqualified as they want. They can have whatever type of uh, teachers and schedule and face masks that they want because the parents can make a choice and there will be a market for high-quality education outside of the traditional public schools. Many will continue to choose traditional public schools, but you know what? They'll be better because they'll be competing with outside forces. Yeah. That is ultimately the answer. Have the money follow the child at the parent's discretion. Eric, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I just encourage our listeners to go to the website OptimaEd.org, OptimaEd.org, to find out about this great uh, charter school movement uh, that Eric is leading here in the state of Florida. Eric, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Erica. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. It's time to find a little on a, on a little bit of a lighter side. Find out what's new with Boo. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo Morton's up there in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, how are you doing? Oh, there's never a dull moment up here. <laughs> Tell us what's going never on. Never a dull moment. Oh, my heavens. Well, just last night, again, you know, there are more demonstrations. And, you know, the cops are back down there. And, you know, they're peaceful. But don't you think these people are starting to, would start to run out of gas with this? Well, I think, uh, quite frankly, I think a lot of this stuff is the f- flames are being stoked by George Soros, and you know they have paid agitators to get these people all f- fired up about socialism and so forth. And I, so I, I think there's money behind it. Otherwise, I think people go home and watch the movie. Right, yeah. Or go home and knit or drink. Anything <laughs> would be better than, <laughs> than uh, what this is. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? You know, you never realize the economic impact that, uh, again, not so much, well, the demonstrators is, have had a huge em- uh, economic impact in Madison. Yeah. But just the the impact just due to the coronavirus, and I've found an article, I mean, there now, granted, there are businesses that are opening. Yeah. But there are so many that are closing, and a lot of these jobs in, in retail, you know, these are retailers, mm-hmm. you know, those are low paying jobs, and you think about all these people are now going to be out of work, mm-hmm. it's catastrophic. Yeah. You know, like Walgreens, is, Walgreens, whoever closes a Walgreens, they're closing 92 stores. Wow. That Pier is amazing. Import, Pier 1 Imports is closing 936. Mm. Nordstrom's, even in Naples, is closing 16. Victoria's Secret, 215. Big Lots is closing 31. Yeah. Uh... It's sad. I mean, and, and it's a huge list. I'm just giving you the highlights. Oh, sure. But you know, even, if you were opening. I saw, but I would also suggest, uh, Boo, that uh, this is a movement beyond coronavirus. I mean, you take a look at the uh, Amazon effect and what's happening with home shopping on the Internet and so forth. Uh, this, The writing's been on the wall for some of these businesses for a long time, and I think coronavirus has just accelerated and exacerbated it to the point where they have to say, no, Moss, we've got to close it down. Oh, I totally agree. I'm I'm a perfect example of that. 
Um, like if I need some different things where I go to Bed Bath and Beyond and say then maybe I'd go to Talbot's. I'm just using this as an example. Mm-hmm. I go, nah, I don't want to. I got to get in the car. I got to put the darn mask on while I'm in the store. <laughs> yeah. Why do it? So you know what I do? I go to Amazon, bada bing. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, and a lot of these companies have been operating on the margin or, you know, just kind of getting by. They're not creating a lot of value for customers, not adding value. It's part of this whole creative destruction process, and we're in the midst of it right now. We're seeing it. On the other hand, there's some good businesses, unfortunately, that uh, just didn't set aside enough money for to get through a crisis like this, and uh, they're, they're, all of us will suffer as a result. You know, they say that 25,000 uh, stores, as many as 25,000 stores could uh, permanently close. That's, That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot indeed, Boo. Well, you know, again, I think... So you know what we need? We need hugs. We they do need... They say that hugs are, they make you feel healthy if you are conflicted or have emotional turmoil. There's nothing like a hug to get you in shape. And now they say, you know, and then with a the virus, you can't hug. I do it anyway. You know what? I you know it's just a shame, isn't it? I mean, it, the overreaction and the this is a I call it panic porn, Corona panic porn is you know people are mm-hmm. fanning the flames, uh, especially in the mainstream media, and making this thing much worse than it is. You know, the, uh, uh, around the world, I saw the statistic: uh, twenty five hundred people out of a million, twenty five hundred out of a million, die from the flu each year. Uh, how many yeah. do you think die from coronavirus? A out lot of, less than that. Out of a million, fifty-six. Do you so, think? There do you, you go. Do you think this is a little bit of an overaction? Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't take caution. Obviously, thinking that this thing is very contagious, but the information we're getting on it is uh, contaminated. We find out that some of these tests that are testing positive, they're not te- positive at all. All kinds of problems that we have with reporting deaths are way up. Uh, uh, way overreported. A uh, guy died on a motorcycle accident the other day on his death certificate. It said COVID nineteen. <laughs> so, oh yes. Wh- yes. What can you yes. believe? You I know. Believe that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I do. A lot of people seem to think that uh, as of November, the November elections, the coronavirus will disappear. Yeah, I I'm I'm one of those people. I believe that uh, it's. Again, we have the overreporting, and uh, we have people that have a vested interest in making this thing look a heck of a lot worse than it is. Yes, yeah, I I believe so. But all right, so now we talked about masks. Do you wear a mask? You know, boo, little bobby cans. You know, I, I I don't own a mask. Quite frankly, uh, and I, I think I'm going to have to get one. I got invited to play golf with a, a good friend. Uh, we got a little foursome. We're going to go out and have a little match at his club. He says, by the way, you got to bring a mask. <laughs> so I really want to play with it. I enjoy his company and everything, but I'm not sure I want to put on a mask. Because when you go into the clubhouse, you have to wear the mask when you walk exact, to the dinner table. Exactly. So... Uh, to me, uh, I, uh, my doctor, who I rely on, good friend, my, a guy replaced my knees. He said, "Bobby, you got you, there's a good reason to wear a mask because you need to appease the people that insist it's important, but it does absolutely no good for your health or anybody else." As you know, in California, they've had a mask requirement uh, since early in June, and uh, the rate of uh, coronavirus has accelerated 165 percent. So how explain to me well, how there you have it. Has, explain to me how masks do any good? Well, but the, all right, okay, I hear you. I know I understand what you're saying. Then how come surgeons wear masks? Well, because they're in an operating room where they're cutting people open and that kind of thing, and and literally they can infect that person uh, by uh, spit or whatever it might come out. There, so they have to have a very very clean environment. They do the scrub now for all that time. They put on clean clothes and so forth because they're opening people up. And uh, so, but it, it, so the variable is we're not. We don't have body organ exposure. Exactly, we're not putting a. We're not. Now there are some people that have a compromised immune systems that they're sick. They have diabetes or whatever it might be. Uh, and I suspect a lot of the people that uh, have died because of coronavirus on the on the death certificate probably had other things going on, like stage four cancer, whatever it might be, and being ninety two years of age. 
So, uh, uh, you know, people that are have compromised immune systems, people that are older, should take precautions, much more precautions than the kids. Right now, we're demanding that kids going to school have to wear masks and goggles. We're going to terrorize these poor little kids. Unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I, I mean, the, the I can barely stand to wear one. I mean, I wear one. Again, I don't want someone getting my face about not wearing it, so I wear it to, you know, do my part. <laughs> And uh, but and but I can hardly stand it. Yeah, no. And expect a kid to sit there for hours with a mask on. And you know you're compromising your own you're compromising your own health when you're wearing a mask. You know that. I mean, it's there. There's yeah. it's detrimental to your health. So this is all the world's upside down right now. But what can we do about it? <laughs> I don't know. And you can't. You don't. You don't even have hugs as a fallback position. <laughs> exactly. Uh, always. That's a bummer. And you don't even have baseball. <laughs> It's so true. And uh, now there's uh, the Black Lives Matter and taking a knee. All this stuff is infecting right now professional sports. I'm going to just start reading more. I'm not going to pay any attention to that nonsense. Boo, it's always great to find out what's on your mind. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We'll do a little shout-out uh, for Lulabee's Diner, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. There's construction going on there, and it's uh, a little more difficult to get to, get to uh, Lulabee's Diner. But it's a great place to have breakfast or lunch. And I, and just hearing that St. Matthew's House commercial, uh, they are very supportive of St. Matthew's House. So stop by and uh, visit uh, Lulabee's Diner right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. So tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and Congress is back in session, so we're in trouble. It, it can, can, continues to grow right here in Collier County. Uh, more and more, <laughs> they're voting again, Seton, to see if we should have masks. If you can believe that, I know, I know. It's uh, even though California imposed masks and their caseload went up 162 percent in the month afterwards. Yeah. So, so never let facts get in the way of a good beating. <laughs> it's so true. Well, you wrote this great piece. It's really interesting. Biden's addled brain. Communists will be running the looming administration. So true. Maybe you could 
Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, before he even announced to run, uh, it, of course, it's, you know, with all the news that we're constantly barraged with, this is a long time ago, it seems, I said if, if he announces he's going to win the nomination yeah. because the party's been taken over by communists right. and the average Democrat voter is a legacy Democrat voter. They're voting for Democrats because their fathers or grandfathers or great-grandfathers voted for Democrats. Right. So they kind of go into autopilot in the voting booth. Well, uh, of course, what's ironic is the communists that their fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers fought against in multiple wars have now taken over their party. That is ironic. Um, yep. So, so Biden represented, because he's been in the party forever, we're talking early 70s, he represents at least a link back to a time when the Democrat Party wasn't run by communists. Mm-hmm. So he would get a lot of those votes of the, of the legacy Democrats who don't want to vote for outright communists, which is everyone else in the in the field mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And sure enough, he entered and he won. Well, of course, when I said that, I didn't realize he his dementia was kicking in. Um, he can't complete a thought. He can't complete a sentence. I've seen internet ads where he he's reading a teleprompter and there are multiple errors in right. a 30 second ad right reading a teleprompter which tells you that you have a, you have virtually unlimited takes on a, on an ad this is not a live read this is a, this is a ad you can take 50 take 82 and this was the best take they got yeah. <laughs> the one with only three errors in it in 30 seconds um He's clearly addled. There's no question about that. So the irony is the legacy Democrat voter base of the, uh, of the party voted for the one non-communist, and they're going to get communism anyway, because he can't run the country. He can't, run, he can't, you know, he can't run to the corner for a quarter milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all the people behind him, you know, as, as I said in the piece, the only people putting, <laughs> the only people with resumes in the Democrat inbox are communists. That, I mean, it's been that way for a while. The, um, the guy that runs the party, Thomas Perez, is an avowed communist. Yeah, he's been, you know he's been running the party for years. Um, uh, Bernie Sanders, socialist, communist, same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the only difference between socialism and communism is five years because it takes about that long for the people to go, hey, hey, this stinks. We don't like this. And then the and then the boot comes down on the neck. Yeah. Um, that's the difference between socialism and communism is the boot on the neck. Um, and and uh, you know, and, and they're throughout the party. And of course, Biden's moderateness is overrated anyway. I actually ran the numbers. When he and Bernie Sanders, uh, the socialist senator from Vermont, concurrently served in the Senate, Biden's voting record was to the left of Bernie Sanders. Wow. So, by the way, so was Hillary Clinton's in 20, when she ran in 20, I, I did it when she ran in 2016. So, so yeah, you know, and, and, and uh, Hillary was, and, and Bernie were six and seven, which means there were five senators to the left of them. So this is all about, this is all about, it's got nothing to do with good governance or anything. It's all about power. It's all about garnering. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a one of, you know, and, and, and Biden trumped out the uh, Obama line. He wants to fundamentally transform the country. Um, I've been saying, you know, Obama wanted to transform America. Trump wants to transform D.C. And I think that's a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, these guys... The people, look, he's got it. Biden has a senior advisor, and they just did a campaign shakeup. She got even more power. Is Anita Dunn? Anita Dunn's a communist. Yeah. Anita Dunn put a Chairman Mao ornament on the Obama White House Christmas tree. She says her favorite political philosopher is Chairman Mao, uh. who killed 80 million of his people in China yeah. uh, to, to set up the great revolution in, in, in China, the great leap forward and all that. Um, so yeah, I mean it's these these are the people that are going to be running the administration, and therefore you know what little policy Biden's been able to you know cobble to get a sentence together and, and produce is very left wing. He once he said he wanted to defund the police. Trump was right. He he did say that. He says he wants to um, 
raise taxes dramatically. I mean, this is like historic levels of tax increases. Right, right after Trump, un- you know, lowered them and, and 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 the economy blossomed as a result. He wants massive new regulations everywhere. Um, he wants to undo all of Trump's deregulation again, which is even more than the tax cuts is what has contrib- what contributed to his. Uh, phenomenal economic success until, of course, the stupid COVID shutdowns. Um, he wants to undo all that and go beyond that. I mean, he's a he's a full-on climate change Green New Deal guy. Oh, yeah. um, and, and that's the problem is when, when he can't, you know, because he's so addled, his staff has to fill in all the policy blanks. Yeah. And his staff is all communists. And let's not uh, forget. Let's wants, not forget opening the borders and, and paying for health care for all these folks. Right. And, and, right, yeah, and he wants illegal aliens to get health care. And let's um, and, and on international basis, let's uh, let's go ahead and repair that relationship with China, the Communist Chinese Party yeah. that <laughs> gave of us the coronavirus. His son got one point two billion dollars from them. Yeah, of course he wants to repair it. Um, you know. Um, oh, and by the way, he says he's he's going to put Beto O'Rourke. The, te- the former Texas congressman uh, in charge of gu- uh, his gun policy. <laughs> and Beto O'Rourke is a full-on gun grabber. He's a, he, I, I love it. He said, in my buyback, in my gun buyback, if you don't accept our terms, we're going to have the cops take your gun. Well, that's, the, that's not a buyback. Yeah, that's it, right. Yeah. Uh, a free exchange is you offer me a price for my gun. If I decline, we part as friends. Right. You don't then send the gendarmes in to take my gun from me. That's not how a buyback works. Well, um, everything you've described is what we have to look forward to if, in fact, there is a... Uh, a Biden presidency. Uh, it, it, he's he is addled, as you're pointing out, and what you're also pointing out, it'll be the quote unquote committee, just like the Communist Party, that'll be running things as long as they can keep his heartbeat going. And if they can't, or if he becomes totally incompetent, yeah, it almost it's almost irrelevant. I mean, who, what black woman he picks as as VP? I mean, I'm sure she'll have a role in it to some degree, but as we know, the Democrat hierarchy is pretty anti-woman too i mean they're not they're not real strong feminists and i think what'll be interesting is if they do pick a black woman or a woman of color or whatever and then they go into the biden administration and the communists setting policy have kind of sidelined the black woman vp We'll see how long she can keep her trap shut. Yeah, that's right. So, hey, Seaton, this is a great piece, and we didn't talk about the piece on the, uh, with regard to the Internet. I'm just going to encourage our listeners to go to lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org, and take a look at this uh, terrific piece by Biden's Addled Brain. It's also on Red State. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Sean Flanagan. He is the director of the Center for Metrics at the Legatum Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us uh, Sean Flanagan, the director of the Center for Metrics at the Logotum Institute. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about the Legatum Institute and what you do. So we at the Legatum Institute, we're a, a global think tank uh, based in London, uh, but we have a global remit. And our, our mission is about creating pathways from poverty to prosperity to help lift uh, nations out of poverty into prosperity. But when we talk about prosperity, because that's a word that's used a lot, um, in, you know, in different contexts and different meanings. But by prosperity, we mean a combination of both economic and social well-being. And it's those two things working hand in hand that, that leads to a life truly flourishing. So when we were established, we realized that, well, how, how can nations improve in prosperity if they don't know where they are, if they don't know their strengths and weaknesses? So we developed the, the Global Prosperity Index, and we've been publishing that every year for the past 13 years. And one of the interesting things when we look at uh, the U.S. is that on the economic aspects of, of the index, there are three domains in the index, uh, inclusive societies, open economies, and empowered people. And when we look at the open economies domain, we see that the U.S. You know, ranks very near the top. It's fourth overall uh, out of 167 nations. But when we look at the other two domains, inclusive societies and empowered people, we see it ranks 27th and 21st. And that pulls the U.S. down in the overall prosperity rankings globally to 18th, and we wanted to understand why, which is why we did the study of the 50 states of the Union and D.C. Yeah, and it also started to go delve into the uh, counties as well. So interesting. So uh, to, uh, tell us more about these other two metrics. They're so, it sounds so interesting to me. Uh, the inclusive uh, part, uh, what makes a, a society inclusive? So we the, the index is a little bit like a, pyramid bob in a way the, the very apex at the top you've got what is overall prosperity underneath that you've got these three domains mm-hmm. uh, inclusive societies open economies empowered people and underneath that we've then got pillars of prosperity and so within the inclusive societies there are four uh, pillars we've got safety and security personal freedom governance and social capital uh, and then within the empowered people we have uh, living conditions health education and the natural environment so interesting. So um, I'm, I'm looking at Florida. I, I opened up the index myself and took a look. And Florida's uh, I, I, one of the things that I'm pleased about is it looks like it's going in the right direction, but its ranking is pretty low. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, so overall, uh, on overall prosperity, um, Florida ranks 30th out of 51, but it has risen. Uh, two things. One is its <coughs> prosperity has improved over the past decade, uh, which is um, Broadly similar to all but one state, Alaska is the only one that saw uh, its prosperity deteriorate over the past decade. And But the index is relative. So as well as being able to say whether uh, a state or, as you mentioned, the county has got better, it's relative to others as well. So whilst prosperity has improved in Florida, it's also risen up the ranking. So in other words, it's outperformed the overall improvement seen at the uh, you know U.S. as an average level. And it, consequently, it's risen four places in the ranking. So it was 34th, it's now 
30th in the rankings overall. But when you look across the different pillars, mm-hmm. there's quite a mixed performance. Um, yeah. So t- tell, us what, tell us what we're doing well and what are the things we can improve on. I'm sure we can improve on everything, but uh, what, what, <laughs> what are some of the strengths that we have? So on, on strengths, I would, I would draw particular attention to on the open economies domain. There we've got three pillars. We've got business environment, which is really capturing the, the extent to which uh, uh, you can attract new businesses, rate of startups, entrepreneurs, but also access to credit in, in terms of helping those businesses grow and, and flourish. We've then got market access and infrastructure, which is around uh, the transport network, communications, uh, and also the resources available. And that's where Florida does well. It ranks eighth overall. That's its best-performing pillar. Um, mm. So that, that's due to having a good communications infrastructure, particularly around Internet accessibility, uh, reliability, and strength, but also on the transport infrastructure, access to airports, uh, proximity to airports, but also bridge and road conditions is good. Mm. It ranks 19th on economic quality and has risen three places on that, and that's the uh, extent to which... Uh, or the workforce, the the the, the sort of um, the, the the sort of economy involves all aspects of the workforce. So, have you got low levels of unemployment, both youth and adults? Have you got high levels of workforce engagement, uh, underemployment, and those kind of things? It captures in there. So, that that's where we're seeing an improvement. And then on the empowered people domain, we're seeing uh, some improvement there. So, on governance pillar. So, whilst um, Florida ranks 34th. It has risen from 44th mm-hmm. a decade ago. So that that's an area. But one area of weakness, I would say, and this was generally the case for a lot of states, is around social capital because it's currently ranking 48th and is in fact slipped one place over the past decade. Wow. So uh, again, social capital includes uh, what types of uh, metrics? So social capital is probably best simply described as the, the glue of society. It's it's what it's trying to measure the strength of personal and family relationships, uh, the wider social networks that people have. So that's interaction with neighbours, but also strangers, trust in strangers, trust in neighbours. It also captures the degree in which the social contract with institutions. So people, do people trust their institutions? You know, federal government, media, corporations, and then the final bit of it is around how engaged are people in society? So do they volunteer? You know, are they engaged in clubs and uh, religious, both religious and non-religious, but also, um, you know, membership organizations like sport, sport and social clubs as well. So that's so interesting to me. Of course, uh, Florida is unique because it has about seven major uh, media outlet areas. And uh, we live in Collier County, which is in southwest Florida, and uh, which, by the way, is the uh, has been voted in, with some pretty reliable metrics as the happiest and healthiest place in the United States <laughs> out of 194 communities. So I think it demonstrates the diversity of Florida in a sense that uh, perhaps our metrics are different than overall Florida metrics. Yeah, I mean, we what we've done in the index is um, g- carrying on the pyramid analogy. Underneath those eleven pillars, we've got what we call uh, policy-focused elements. There are forty-eight of those, and we've structured those with the help of sort of around forty U.S. experts to be um, areas that we believe policymakers are interested in. So that if you're looking to uh, you know develop new policies, that that's that's where we think the level needs to be at, and then measuring each of those 48 policy-focused elements are between sort of four and eight indicators. But, and so we've got 215 indicators in the index. All, all of those are publicly available, and we use a wide variety of sources, um, if, you know, for U.S. sources in, in pulling this together. Yeah. Um, so we've tried to create something that's comprehensive but also holistic. So we're curating a whole range of data in this index. Yeah, it's so interesting indeed. I mean, to me, the untrained eye, uh, the big issues that I see is that we're pretty litigious here in Florida. We could do some uh, some legal reform, I think, would be in order. The other thing is a, a little bit over-regulated. We had the governors really worked on that issue, but uh, reducing the level of reg- you know regulations that prohibit people from getting into a new job or getting into a new industry, those two areas, I think, are of concern. Does that, does that uh, line up with uh, your metrics? So in the business environment uh, pillar, we have something around burden of regulation. Um, that that at the moment is, is, is actually ranking Florida 17th overall. Wow. Um, and it's that, that's broadly similar to, to how it was um, a decade ago. So it, it, would, it would seem to be suggesting. Um, but one of the things that we do see, um, 
I mean, state regulate. There's two indicators in there. One is around federal re- regulation and state enterprise index, and it actually does quite well on that. Mm. But the state regulation uh, 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 indicator it doesn't do as well. It ranks 34, so that might chime a little bit with what you're saying. But on a, on one of the other elements on domestic market contestability, what we're trying to capture there is around things around occupational licensing, around tra- around t- training time, costs, and all those kind of things. And actually, we we see there that Florida doesn't rank so well on. Yeah training time and age requirements for license and those kind of things it's in the high 40s yeah that would that would make sense wish we had more time to talk about this but it's such a fascinating conversation i'm going to re- refer our listeners to your website legatum institute i'll spell that for you it's uh, l-e-g-a-t-u-m institute legatum institute uh, dot i want to get this right is it org or com We've got li.com, which people can go to. They can be directed there. But, Bob, we've got a dedicated website for the U.S. Prosperity Index, and it's all open source. So if people go to www.usprosperity.net, if your listeners go to that, they can get a state profile for Florida, but also all the other states. And and for the first time this year, 829 counties and eight selected states. Wow. Because we really want to understand how prosperity is not just shared across the U.S., but how is it then shared within the individual states? Uh, not only that, but it informs decision-making for uh, elected officials, too. I think it's just really terrific. Sean, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun and learned a lot, and I hope you'll uh, tune in tomorrow. with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, and Andrew Joppa as... Just does great commentary. And Larry Bell as well will be with us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.